Welcome to the podcast version of Police Science Doctor, the online resource bridging the gap between research and investigative practice. For police personnel who go the extra mile. For academics who want to connect better with investigative practitioners. On YouTube and on policesciencedoctor.com. Very good morning to you, everyone. This is Suzanne Knavenikol with the Police Science Snippets of this week. Today we're doing Police Science Snippets number 46. That means we've been doing this for 46 weeks straight in a row. The Police Science Snippets are pieces of research that I've scoured through. I've, I've been looking through academic journals and articles and anything that's scientific and related to science to the fields of police science, law enforcement, military and intelligence. Anything that might be useful to you, the law enforcement practitioner, the student, the police trainer, anything in that field. And I've extracted the bits that I think might be actionable to you because much of the research that's published, you know, let's be honest, first of all, you can't access it. Secondly, it's written in such a way that it's very unpleasant to read. And also it's going to be a lot of theory, a lot of debates about methodologies, and that's not interesting to someone who's on the ground, who's a first responder, who's an emergency worker. So I've gone through and I've selected three pieces of research that I think will be of use to you today. The first one is deception in interviews, or potentially thinking there's deception in interviews. um, People with symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, that's ADHD, may appear vague in their answers during questioning and unwittingly arouse unfounded suspicions of deception. So this is really important because we have a high percentage of um, psychological vulnerabilities in the population of people that get interviewed and interrogated by police. That's actually the next snippet. But if we as the interviewer do not understand the symptoms of this and how people can present when they're speaking truthfully, then we may construe this as being um, deceptive because they're more they're more vague, they're perhaps not quite understanding the question, they're perhaps not quite understanding how they're presenting themselves and how they should be responding. So this, as I said, is connected to the next one about psychological vulnerabilities. Police grossly underestimate the prevalence of psychological vulnerabilities in the suspect population, believing that only 4% of those who are in custody and about to be interviewed need an appropriate adult. So an appropriate adult is can be a volunteer, it can be a family member, it, it has to be someone who's not involved in the investigation, who can sit with a suspect in interview just to be to provide some reassurance. Often they don't say anything, but they are there to answer any questions or explain the questions that are asked of them if necessary. Um, so the police only think that four people that they have in custody need such a volunteer. Um, such an appropriate adult because they're vulnerable, psychologically vulnerable. And psychologically vulnerable means, you know, being susceptible to um, to being suggestive, which means that you can make them think and say things that actually then they're, they're not wanting to mean and say. But, you know, they're quite gullible is not the right word. But in a normal, you know, in normal parlance, it would be something like, you know, suggestivity is basically a term we use in, um, in interviews where... You can, you can plant something in their minds that they will then say as, as their own account, which is actually not true. Um, but actually, clinical evaluations have shown that rather than the 4% that police estimate, it's more like 15 to 20%. That's almost one in five who need an appropriate adult with them. Now, what does that say about the interviews that are conducted without an appropriate adult present when there should be one there? So that's a really worrying number. And the third snippet for today is suspects are more likely to confess if they reportedly consumed an illicit drug in the 24 hours preceding the interview. 
and they are less likely to confess when interviewed in the presence of a legal advisor or if they've had previous experience of incarceration. Those two last points might not be of surprise to experienced investigators. But in a, if a suspect admits that they've taken an illicit drug, an illegal drug, in the previous 24 hours, they're more likely to make a confession, which is interesting. So I hope that you found some of these useful. You can go to policesciencedr.com, that's police science doctor, and just leave your details in the registration form there. And I'll send these, these kind of snippets with the links to the original research to you every Tuesday. And when I can, I also come online like this and talk to you about them. So I hope you have a good week and thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this content useful. You can get access to each episode's transcript with key learning points, timestamps, and references if you get yourself onto my mailing list. Just go to the main website on policesciencedoctor.com and on the bottom of each page you will find a sign-up form for notifications of new content. Just enter your first name, your preferred email address, and the type of organization you work for. You will not get any spam. This is just for me to let you know about new content and for you to get access to all the transcripts. Thank you.